want to bring in um, two other people who have champ been championing this fight. Of course, we all know Dr. Cornell West, a Harvard professor, an author, uh, a, a philosopher, a poet, and one of the most compelling speakers of our day. Um, and also Nick Branna, who is the national coordinator for the Movement for a People's Party, who's hosting this town hall tonight. Thank you both so much for joining us and picking up this conversation where we left off. Um, I want to ask you, Nick, why you felt it was important for the Movement for a People's Party to get behind this. We So we recently, as the Movement for a People's Party, announced uh, our advisory council with members such as uh, Dr. Cornell West, Justin Jackson, um, Jimmy Dore, Susan Sarandon, um, students, activists, uh, nonprofit leaders, um, uh, labor leaders, people from all walks of life. And we saw this fight happening and we um, for forced the vote and we saw it as so much more than being just a fight over even Medicare for all, as big as that is, as impactful as we've all just heard that is, we all have stories. I have a story as well. Thankfully, I've been more fortunate than some of the others that we've had on this call, but this is about more than whether we're even going to get Medicare for all. This is about an entire theory of change. This is about whether our politicians are there to be accountable to us or whether they're accountable to party leadership and big money. Because what is the point? What is the point, as this debate is illustrating, of having progressives and politicians in the Democratic Party who don't take corporate money if at the end of the day they end up listening to the politicians who do take the corporate money? This is the biggest opportunity that we have to advance the fight, meaningfully advance the fight for Medicare for all, healthcare in the only country that doesn't guarantee it as a human right, the only major country. This is the only opportunity that we have, the best opportunity we've had in years. And it is reprehensible that our elected officials who were elected specifically on the promises to come to power, to enact, to push this issue, and also to defy leadership. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said that she was gonna vote against Pelosi without conditions when she was elected. She said she was gonna form a corporate free caucus. She said that she was gonna primary people up and down the ballot. This is what the Democratic Party does to people. It's not because AOC is a bad person. It's not because the squad are bad people. They are in a party that is thoroughly, irredeemably corporate. And that's why we took on this fight as a movement for a people's party. That's why we're building a major new party. That's why we enshrined as our first principle that we are free of corporate money at the People's Convention, attended by more than a million people over the summer. That's why we're fighting this. Thanks, Nick. And, and Dr. West, you are kind of famous for being able to disagree with people in the most gentle way. I mean, I, I, feel, I feel more warmed by your embrace in conflict than I do um, most people when we're, we're having a good time. So I'm curious what you say, would say to people who say, this is purely symbolic, there's no point of doing this, this isn't, doesn't have any strategic value. Why, why have you gotten behind um, the force to vote movement? 
Well, I mean, for me, I try to look at the world through moral and spiritual lens. That's why I salute to you and Sister Katie, so such powerful forces for good. Same with Brother Dorr and Brother Justin. But when we hear the stories of Brother Scott and Sister Joy, and we know that is the case among millions of folk in the richest nation in the history of the world, we say, it's the corporate greed at the center of the privatized healthcare system, which constitutes a crime against humanity. That's not just a matter of a side issue. It's a matter of suffering. And when you have overwhelming suffering and your system can't address it, and when you have two parties, a corporate duopoly that can't address it, then somebody's got to shout. Somebody's got to cry out. Somebody's got to organize. Somebody's got to mobilize. There's got to be alternatives, vision, organization, execution. So that's very much what we're talking about. And I think in the history of the country, for example, the same was true with slavery, with abolition. Well, we got a progressive version of slavery. No, we want the abolition of slavery. Well, you got Jim Crow under FDR. FDR did some wonderful things, but he didn't hit hit, hit Jim Crow. What did that, what did, what, what, what did A. Philip Randolph have to do? Make him what do they, it. They, they make him do it. Put the pressure on him. Here comes Vic, Mark Antonio, the Italian brother. I'm standing with you. Same is true in the 1960s. Here comes Stanley Aronowitz. Here comes Martin King. Here comes Malcolm X. Keep the pressure on. How come? The suffering is overwhelming. It constitutes a national emergency. It's a crime against humanity. And we have, so that the corporate greed sits at the center of this. And the indifference to that suffering, that's what upsets me so. And what do you say to people, and either of you can take this question, um, who say, well, there's not enough to be gained and there's too much to be risked in terms of um, political capital. Mm. Brother Nick, you can jump in first and I'll just follow you though, brother. Were you elected for your political capital or were you elected to do what's right? AOC said in an interview recently that she would be happy to be a one-term member of Congress if that's what it meant to do what was right. AOC also said less than a year ago in January, she was discussing, she made a point to say that the Democratic Party is not a left party, that the United States doesn't have a left party, the Democratic Party is a center-right or a right party. And when she thought, when she paused to think, how could she best describe that? She arrived at the fact that we can't even get a floor vote on Medicare for all, not even a floor vote. And so that is why we need a major new party. Because what we are seeing today, what we are demanding as a part of this movement, forced to vote, it's truly the bar is on the floor hmm. A vote. We're not asking for the passage of Medicare for all. And we should be immediately along with a basic income and so many other things. But this is the bare minimum ask and forget the corporate politicians. We can hardly even get the progressives to fight for it. These are the institutional pressures in the Democratic Party. And this is why we need a major new party that is free of those pressures. When we as the People's Party send in 2022 members of Congress to the House, there won't be any equivocation. Are you for Medicare for all? You're damn right we are. 
So what if, what about people though? Cause I, I really do want to give the best faith version of this argument. There are people who say that political capital is, is a real phenomenon that, and it can be spent better, right? That, that if you poke the, the mama bear, as it were, that you could end up with even more punishment with respect to uh, committee appointments that, I don't know, uh, other things could happen down the line. You might find yourself in a more difficult position getting vote other other politicians to sign, co-sponsor um, the, the bill, Medicare for all bill, et cetera. I think for me, I've had a hard time with that because it seems like the failures thus far are a demonstration of how little political capital there is at present. Right, regardless. And that people are being asked to offer up political capital to, to say, let's let's hold on to political capital. when what we actually have on the other hand is actual power in this specific moment, in, in this in this very specific moment. So um, I just want to ask uh, Dr. West uh, in closing, you know, what message would you give to these Congress people who you have had an opportunity to work with and get to know in particular over the context of Bernie Sanders campaign? What kind of message would you would you want to deliver to them in person, you know, if they're watching tonight? No, that, I just love the way you brilliantly formulate that, there, my sister, with the clarity there. I think it's so very important. The first thing, of course, is that it, it's clear that the squad is the best slice of the Democratic Party. There's mm. no doubt about that. They are our brothers and sisters. We can come together with them on a number of different issues. I'm hoping this sister Nina Turner. I'm doing all that I can. I just sent her $250. I'm doing all I can to move her in. But when she gets in there, she knows she's dealing with a party that has a corporate rot at its center because it's tied to Wall Street. It's tied to Pentagon. It won't hit poverty. It won't hit mass incarceration. It won't hit the militarism and so forth. It won't hit the Israeli occupation of Palestinians and so forth. So you say, okay. If that's the context of the party, let's just be honest about it and say that party does not have the capacity to actually deliver when it comes to the suffering that we're talking about. It's got some individuals in there that, that's that are decent, but it doesn't have the capacity. We're talking about a predatory capitalist system, and we're talking about the role of those two parties that are very tied to corporate money. So it's a moral and a spiritual witness, and to say somehow, We've got to recognize when we do have power, we've got to use it, not in a narrow strategic way, but in the name of the suffering of those sly stone called everyday people. The Joys, the Scots, and they are disproportionately chocolate. I mean, we can talk about reparations further down the line the same way. Yeah. How do you hit the issue when people don't have what they ought to have? access to wealth and dignity and, 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 and a job with a living wage and so forth and so on. That's the kind of, I think, vision and fire. And I do think that, that the squad, you know, they, they, they've got some of this inside of them. They're just in a decrepit, corporate-driven, democratic party. Yeah. That's part of the problem. And they need to be forced for their own sake. They need to be forced to do this. Like they can't do this without the political pressure because that is actually, ironically, political suicide. It's that's not exactly, responding to the pressure. That's exactly right. And it's a matter of, of just accountability and accountability you know, cuts across the board. We all need to be accountable. All of us fall short. That's not a question in any way of, of, of us being pure and pristine. 
but the pressure has got to be real and concrete because the social misery is undeniable and to think that somehow you can put it off, put it off, put it off, misses the point. I think accountability is such an important word. When AOC was running, I remember her saying that she needed to be pushed and held accountable when she was in office. I know there are a lot of people who feel it kind of in retrospect, uh, or maybe at the time that they wish that they had been more vocal in their criticism, maybe even Senator Sanders and hope, wishing that he had run his campaign in different ways and then maybe wouldn't be in this situation. And I think no matter how much we support someone, we have to understand that the crisis here, in my view, is largely an accountability crisis. We have a, a population that overwhelmingly supports Medicare for all. We have 88% of Democrats supporting Medicare for all, but barely half of Democrats in the House are most representative bodies supporting Medicare for all. And why are those politicians able to go along without reflecting the interests of their constituents? It's because we lack a media apparatus or any other kind of apparatus which is willing to highlight that contradiction and point to the fact that so much of what's motivating politicians isn't what their constituents want, but who is paying them, who is filling their campaign coffers. And without a stunt like this, I have a hard yeah. time assessing where that accountability mechanism is going to come into the picture and right the ship. It's and so true, so true, so eloquent, so true. We but also oh, heard about accountability or about political capital, but this country is suffering as we've all described, as we've all witnessed on this call, on this town hall. This country wants, they, and yet they tune in to a corporate media and a political establishment that reflects in some plastic vanity an alternate reality that has no connection to their lives. And so what this country wants is a movement that has the courage of its convictions. That's what we need to deliver. We need a new party, but we also need this movement to believe in its own message, in its own principles, enough to do what is politically challenging, enough to do what might result in being a one-term member of Congress. Because we have to put the suffering of the people, as Dr. West said, above our own interests. Because that's what's supposed to separate us from the corporate politicians. Yeah, I, I really agree, Nick. I think that's that's really well stated. Katie, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? Oh, no, I was just going to say that I don't even think it's, I mean, I, I think that it's a... Uh, we don't even have to view it as a necessary kind of political suicide. I think doing this right. is not going to be political suicide. The more people you have making this argument, the more electable, the more viable. And, you know, what happens is just so people understand, like the fact that we don't, it's not necessary. This is not being done with the expectation that it will pass. It's being done with the expectation that we are engaging in and intentionally, a lot of people criticize this as performative. Yes, it is performative. It's morally um, grounded, morally justified, performative um, activism. The point is to create a moment to highlight the immorality of opposing healthcare, of opposing Medicare for all during this pandemic. It may not pass, it probably won't pass, but we, this is a line in the sand. And then what happens is you shift the Overton window or to use a less wonky term, you just shift norms. You make something politically toxic. It's not gonna work the first time. You keep doing it again and again. Then you get all of the Democrats 
hopefully, who knows, to support it, then the Democrats can do something which they can't do now, which is shame the Republicans and expose them as the ghouls that they are. They can't do that now because they're into the private insurance, Medicare for, for all who want it. And they don't have the moral clarity with which to challenge the Republicans. And when Jimmy said the, that great point about the biggest abuse of power is not using it, I was like, you know, at least Republicans, they use it. They do terrible right. things with it. But the Dems could could take a you know page out of that book and actually doing things instead of being afraid of their own shadow. And you know, there's this phrase like, what is it? The Republicans fear their base, the the Democrats sustain them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at look at the leaked tape we just saw with Joe Biden saying that he wasn't going to use executive orders for all of these things that this particular constituency they was talking to, Black Americans, who ostensibly got him elected. Um, saying to their face that he wasn't going to do what was in his executive authority power to do to meet these these core criminal justice concerns that motivated the largest protest in the streets in, in, in American history, global global protests. So um, I, I want to thank well, both of you. Uh, should we bring in uh, our next two guests at, at concurrently and, and broaden out this conversation? If you guys need to to, to move off, we can do that as well. Um, but I think we're, this is our last, our last two group of yeah. two people coming in. None other than that would be great. Jimmy Dore and Steph, the miserable liberal. Hello. So I guess we're just going to tell our story and why we feel the need to advocate for hashtag force to vote right now at this moment. And I just want to tell my own personal story because there's been a lot made about how people aren't professional or approved grassroots organizers. And so I shouldn't be allowed to do this and people shouldn't listen to my concern about Medicare for all. And they're asking, what are your credentials for this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you real quick what got me on board for Medicare for all was I got sick and I got sick in, a, in, in not in a normal way. I got sick in a way that was hard to diagnose. So my illness stretched out for over three to four years. And what happened was I would go to the doctor and they would they would say you have this and then they would prescribe something and I would get sicker. And then six months would go by and they would say, oh, you don't have that. You have something else. And then they would give me another treatment and six months would go by and I'd get sicker. And this kept going on and going on. And then they said, you know, there's this guy, Dr. Sharp. You should go see him, Dr. Charles Sharp. He's the best guy and he could fix you. Well, he didn't take my insurance. And by that mm -hmm. time. I was already broke, right? We, you know, we had health and health insurance I and mean, they just don't pay for stuff. They don't pay for MRIs and CT scans. And I had to have special different kinds of tests that nobody else could get. And I had to go to special places to get them. And I had to pay for it all out of my pocket. And I know what it's like, right? And I know what it's like to walk into a doctor's office that you owe money to and not have any room left on your credit card and have them deny you service while you're dying. And you don't know what's happening. You don't even know what your illness is yet. All you know is that you're about to die. And all you know is that you just bankrupted yourself. And I bankrupted my wife. And we didn't know where to turn or what to do. And then one day I stepped off a step the wrong way and my spine collapsed. I went from 5'10 to 5'7 like that. I had six vertebrates. So then I was like, hey, I'm just about ready to die. Maybe we should scrape together any kind of money we can and go see Dr. Sharp. So we did. And Dr. Sharp diagnosed me correctly within the first visit. And I had dead bone in my thigh at that time. I had dead bone in my spine. I had 
I had fractures all over my body from my feet to my fingers, to my neck, to my ribs. I had broken bones all over my body and I had dead bone in my hip and in my thigh. And I was supposed to get the Bo Jackson surgery. And Dr. Sharp sent me to the guy who invented that Bo Jackson surgery. Anyway, the long story short was he told me to have to take bone out of my shin, put it in my thigh, and I wouldn't be able to step on my leg for six months. And I was already hunked over and limping. I could barely move, but I could still sit down and do stand-up comedy. And if I didn't, I wouldn't have any money. So I would get pushed out into a comedy club and I would be helped up onto the stage and I would sit down and recite my act. And so doing that, I got it. I was offered a hour special on Comedy Central while I was dying. And I had to tell that doctor, I can't get this operation right now in my thigh because A, I don't have the money for it. And B, if I do it, I won't be able to do my Comedy Central special. And if I can't do that, I'm going to kill myself anyway. And he said, well, just so you know, Jimmy, at any moment, your thigh bone could snap. Any moment you step on stage, your thigh bone could snap, just so you know. And I said, well, that's a chance I got to take. And so we went bankrupt and I didn't get that surgery. But Dr. Sharp, after four years of being misdiagnosed, finally helped me get back onto the road to recovery. And I'm still recovering today. And I don't think anybody has to go through that. I don't think anybody, because they got sick, should have to face wanting to kill themselves, bankruptcy, financial destruction, and not knowing where to turn and not being able to get the help you want because they don't take your insurance. It's a crazy situation we're into, and I hope that that would give me the gravitas to be able to advocate for Medicare for all on behalf of me and my family and other people's families who go broke or are worrying about getting sick because everyone knows we're one unique illness away from being bankrupt and out on the street. Everybody knows that. And if they don't vote for this right now, they're telling you they don't care. They'd rather protect themselves and their career and their, it, their position inside a party than help the people who elected them who are dying in the middle of a deadly pandemic and the worst economic crisis in our history. That's what's happening. And I hope, I know I was told that I'm not allowed to advocate for this because I'm not official. Well, I, I'm telling you that this story gives me the ground to stand on and people who have the same story like me who don't have time to go out and be a professional organizer. I'm speaking for them. I'm speaking for the people who go bankrupt. I'm speaking for the people who die every year, the 40 some thousand people a year who die because they don't have health care. I'm speaking for them. They don't have time to go out professionally organize. We're doing it for them. Because I don't think anybody should have to go through what I went through or my, what my wife went through ever in the richest country in the world. People who have worked all their lives every day shouldn't have to go through that. And when you have the power to do something about it, you should use your power. And if you don't use your power, shame on you. Steph, do you want to say something? Yeah. Well, you know, Jimmy was saying that, you know, the bottom line is, you know, people would ask me during this time period, how are you? And I would say, I'm fine, because how do you turn to somebody and say, my husband's dying? He's suicidal. We've tapped out 
everything. You know, like when people say, how are you? You know, they don't really want to know how you're doing because I think we probably all know we're not doing well right yeah. now. Weren't we all $400 away from a disaster? And look what's facing us. And so like now when people say, you know, I didn't lose everything. I have Jimmy still. And when they say, how are you? I say, I'm lucky. My husband's alive. And I'm angry. And it's time for force the vote. And this Medicare for all is about love. It's about loving each other and caring for our neighbors and the most vulnerable among us. Hashtag force the vote. And if I don't have the credentials, <laughs> high school English teacher for 20 years, proud union member. I don't know where I was supposed to get my credential to be a grass, grassroots activist, but I think I earned it through yeah, my life experience. I, I, wanna, I wanna just talk about that a little bit because I think that the elephant in the room a little bit tonight is that there has been a division among the left on this issue. This isn't the typical Medicare for all discussion where we're trying to convince centrist Democrats, corporate Democrats or Republicans to get on board. If this has been surprising in a lot of ways, more emotionally taxing because we're disagreeing with people who are typically comrades in a world where we don't have a lot of comrades, right? And one of the arguments that's been put forward is, and this is something that AOC said in her interview um, on uh, with, with Jeremy Scahill at Intercepted, was that, you know, you know, the, the activists aren't behind this. This isn't a grassroots movement. And, you know, I wanted to know if that was true. And I started trying to reach out to people, try to talk to people in DSA and Healthcare Now, um, in PNHP, a number of activist groups. And my impression so far from what I've been told is that there is actually a lot of grassroots activity among membership, but that there's a gulf between what membership is interested in and what leadership is willing to fight for. Um, yeah, please. So, so I, I guess what AOC is saying that when you're when you poll Democrats and 80 some nine, almost 90 percent of them are for this, I guess the 10 percent who are against it are all leading these grassroots organizations. Is that what she's telling me? Because that's what she's saying. She's saying that nine out of 10 Democrats are for for hashtag force to vote and Medicare for all. And the rest of them are for something else. So I, it doesn't make any sense. The people who are against hashtag force to vote. Uh, 99.9% of them have gold plated health care. Uh, it's, I haven't, I have yet to personally not meet or talk to a person who doesn't have health care, who is against hashtag fourth to vote. It's rich people. Uh, it's people who have great health care. If people who aren't facing eviction, it's people who aren't facing uh, a bankruptcy for medical debts. Those are the people who are against hashtag force to vote or people uh, uh, who are actively working against it for whatever reason. There's no reason to be against this. This is what we've been screaming about our entire life. Nancy Pelosi, Lee Fong found a video of her demanding a vote on single payer in 1994. So she's going to be going out as speaker in 2022. And so she's going to bookend her career by calling for a single payer vote and denying a single payer vote. That's going to be the bookends to her career while people are dying during a deadly pandemic. And I'm supposed to be embarrassed that I'm raising my voice. Well, I'm not. 
And if they don't fucking do this, I'm coming for them and I'm never stopping. Jimmy, somebody asked me online the other day, why are you so angry? And I asked them, why aren't you? And I think that there's a lot of people who find your um, righteous indignation, if anything, understated given the gravity of what we're facing. Um, I want to I want to pull Dr. West back in for a second, because I do think that there are a lot of spheres in which we see this kind of institutional creep. It's not about any individual saying, I want to be a bad person. I want to be forsake my values in a conscious way. But even we hear stories of academia, right, where people are protected, people have tenure, but we all know there are all kinds of institutional influences that make you more or less likely to want to pursue certain subject areas or take certain stances. And as someone who has shown an enormous amount of courage, um, Dr. West, in being an iconoclast in these ways, I wondered if you could speak to that a little bit and what you think is going on here with these organizing groups as well as the members of Congress themselves. Yeah, I hear well, one, I'm just so glad that Brother Dorr is still here. Yeah. And uh, I want to salute to Stephanie too, uh, because I think uh, we are all having to come to terms with the fact that this corporate greed at the center of our system generates such cruel consequences, vicious effects. And a democratic party that is in captivity to that kind of corporate power does not have the institutional capacity to address the source of the righteous indignation of Brother Doar. I feel the same righteous indignation. We talked about that on his show the other day. Following Jesus into the temple and running out the money changers and those money changers are who? Pentagon, pharmaceutical companies, private insurance, marketeers, war marketeers, congreg congressmen and women who are deferential to those forces, to those interests. And that's why we should never hold back our voices in this regard. Now, it's true that there's, there's going to be persons who will disagree with us thinking we've got the wrong strategy, but they've got the same end and aim. We say, fine, you can disagree. We just think you are not right. We think this is the time to raise our voices collectively because of the suffering. And Brother Doar has made it very clear. He's fighting now not for himself, but for others to make sure they don't go through the same thing. That's the moral and spiritual dimension that we're talking about in terms of everyday people who have to come to terms with these cruel consequences of this corporate greed. That's why what Brother Nick is talking about in terms of the People's Party is we've got to have some institutional mechanism that can expose exactly what's going on in the establishment of the Democratic Party and those progressives who are on the edges of that party, if they feel that they have to be deferential, then they have to be exposed. And we can do that in a loving way. So Stephanie's right. This is this is this is fundamentally about love. But love is about correction, as well as protection. And also, I mean, I think something we see with so many people who are dismissed as angry. I mean, I know I really saw this so much with Bernie Sanders. And when people were angry that he was shouting, I'm like, you're angry that someone is shouting, but you're not angry about the things he's shouting over and Absolutely. shouting about. And you know, the opposite of that anger is love. 
It really is. Like, why is he angry about this stuff? Because he cares. And this is, you know, true of many, like Jimmy, you can see. And you know, what's interesting is that, and I know Jimmy, you're far more critical of brother Bernie than I am. But what I will say is that an interesting thing that we see a lot is the, there are a couple of really bad faith or perhaps delusional or perhaps to be charitable. Let's see, people really don't get it. But this argument about people, um, because, you know, when, when Bernie made money off of selling books, all of a sudden he was a hypocrite. And you're a hypocrite, Jimmy, because you have some, um, you've made some money over the years. No, you'd be hypocrites if Bernie, once he became uh, wealthier, changed his position on the tax code, he'd be a hypocrite. Right. Jimmy would be a hypocrite if once he got more money, he stopped caring about Medicare for all. That's the hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not biography. I mean, FDR, he, yes, he did a lot of bad stuff, but he also did a lot of great stuff. And is the fact that he was an aristocrat and part of this royal family, does that like make it not okay? He doesn't have cred. This is a really, just, I think a very uh, problematic argument that we usually see from centrists. And now we're seeing this from leftists. And and there, there's that. And then, um, yeah, so there's the anger thing being, being bad as opposed to being righteous. And then there's the, uh, the you know, personal income and, you know, I actually, you know, in, unless you don't use an iPhone and live in a yurt, I never want to hear what you have to say, basically. That's my, that's, can that's I, the, uh, the line. Let's make one more point that we touched on just before was that there is a division between the leadership of these Medicare for all organizations and, and their membership. There is okay. Healthcare right. LA just endorsed, but, but what, what, what I just found out also today and I reported on my show was that all the interns in Rokana's office wrote letters to him to back hashtag force to vote. Wow. So again, there's another division between the leadership and the and the, the people, the, the the members. So I don't know if Ro keeps teasing. I mean, he's a he's super big verbally. He's on board for Medicare for all and for it be happening now. He has not endorsed hashtag force to vote, although all his inter is interns have. So all the people who are wor regular working people in his office, they're for it. So maybe Maybe they'll persuade him. So that again, there's a big division between the people who are professional organizers for a living and people who want to get Medicare for all. It's like there's more money in treating diabetes than there is in curing it. And there's more money in fucking organizing for Medicare for all than it is to implementing it. So we got to make sure that these people who've made their fucking lives organizing for Medicare for all don't get fat and, and lazy by constantly organizing. And they have got they have their entree. They have their access. That's what they don't want to lose. They don't want to lose their access to powerful people and they want to have powerful people come to their fundraisers. Well, what we need now is to have Medicare for all. So we don't need any more fucking fundraisers. Yeah, I, I think that access is a huge part of it. Yeah. Katie, you and I have talked about this as podcast hosts. We want people to yeah. come on, right? Like, I would love to have a conversation with AOC one day, but I don't care about that more than healthcare. Yeah, <laughs> right? like pushing I, or holding someone accountable, yeah. I, and I would hope that she is the kind, I, I would want her on my show because I hope that she's the kind of person that would rise to this challenge in this moment because that's, that's the kind of leadership I would hope to be able to foreground. Um, uh, and, and any of us would be hoping the foreground. So for those of us who want to know what to do next, Jimmy, what is the call to action? It, you know, if you're in one of these membership organizations, if you are not, um, if you want to participate in some way, what should people look to? Well, I would uh, hashtag force to vote, 
uh, agitate towards your leadership if you're a part of one of these Medicare for All organizations. Have a public letter, get it signed, force your uh, tweet at them, use your social media, make your own videos uh, with hashtag force the vote and my story. And all we can do is pressure. It's up till January 3rd, right? So that's when the vote happens. All people do also people go to force the vote.org, go to force the vote.org, sign the petition that helps ratchet things up. Uh, Nick, what else should people be doing to help organize right now? Show up Washington, D.C. January 2nd and 3rd, Saturday and Sunday and be there. Spirit of Justice Park. We're going to be getting together. Jackson Hinkle, many others are planning a rally at that time. And so we're going to be getting together and actually pressuring them in person with direct action. Many different people are gonna be there. Uh, Bree's gonna be there, um, uh, Nico House, many different people coming together and we need everyone to show up and we need, because we need to pressure the people who are the closest to us. If they can be moved and if they can't be moved, then we need to have a conversation that is much deeper than this about electoral politics and the Democratic Party as a whole, something that we've begun as the movement for a People's Party. So show up there, call them, email them, take direct action, do everything possible, sign the petition. That's what we need now. And I, and I will say, there ha I have found myself as someone who's very new to organizing. I'm a novice. I would never pretend to have more experience or know-how than anybody in this arena. But I have become frustrated over the past few months as it feels like sometimes, not all the time, there's so many wonderful organizers that I have been able to learn from through the being part of the Bernie campaign and outside of it. But sometimes it feels like interlocutors online in particular like to say, organizing, organizing, it's grassroots as a way to shift people away from action. Like there's this group of organizers in like the organizing building in an organizing street <laughs> that has organizing certificates and they're allowed to organize. And it, it makes a lot of us feel inactive. And in this moment, this is one of the first times in my life that I felt like I had to take the reins because the groups that I usually rely on to kind of champion a cause weren't doing it for whatever reason. And we're allowed to have disagreements. Maybe they just don't think it's a good idea and I do. Well, if I do, I feel like I have to be able to be willing to put some sweat equity in. And so I've been really heartened to be a part of groups that are organizing on a Slack channel I've been promoting on social media and a Facebook group. And they've I've already been a part of, you know, three hour week meetings over the weekend where we've been doing dialing our representatives. And it makes me feel a lot more confident about the kinds of things we could achieve if we don't overly rely on institutions of any sort to advance our own interests. So I hope some of you consider joining in those efforts and other efforts as well. And also, you know, if if people if organizers have different opinions or stances then they can present those and i would also urge people who are kind of um you know uh holding the space to leave standing back for organizers to check in with the rank and file right because uh that's who in theory we're supposed to be um taking our cues from so not just the organizers but the people who they are organizing the other thing i would i would urge people to do is you know a lot of people are are saying that they don't like Jimmy. So they're not supporting this because they don't like Jimmy. They don't like Jimmy's tone. Well, no, Jimmy, this is not a, a, a slight, but if you don't like Jimmy, then take this into your own hands, make it your own tone. Susan Sarandon is, is tweeting out AOC, we have your back. You know, we are supporting you to do the right thing. It's not the antagonistic tone. Um, so do that, help shape this movement so that it has more of that 
to it. Um, and again, it's like, aren't we supposed to be beyond the personalization of politics? That's what a lot of people are saying, ironically, in the criticism of Jimmy. So go do that then. Get behind this movement and um, yeah, make change the tone into your own, you know, shape, shape it the way that you want to. And also stop talking about Jimmy's house. <laughs> Not that it's about Jimmy, but I can't stand an argument. Again, just stop. It's so stupid. Did you know, did you know Bernie has two coats? I don't know if you know that. He also has two winter coats. Jimmy, you know he only has one coat. You know, I, I got it. Yeah, I got to say, when I saw that article about him in Newsweek about his parka, I have to say I was a little bit like, Bernie didn't spend like $300 on a parka. Not that it's relevant at all, but I had an image of him shopping. And if anyone has suggested that, he's be like, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. It was a gift. It I'm not going to spend $300 on a coat. But yes, it was a gift from his son, his son. who like works for the company. So that was so perfect. Factory. Yes. Well, on that note, we will take yes. this conversation and some of this levity over to the Katie Halper show. Yeah. We've gone way over time. I want to thank everyone who's participated today. Um, you've sharing your stories in particular. I know that takes a lot of emotional effort and energy, and we shouldn't have to lay our souls bare all the time to advance a cause like this. But I'm enormously grateful for all of you for doing so. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Steph. Thank you, Dr. West. Thank you, Nick, for spearheading so much of this. And thank you, Katie, for being a wonderful co-host as always. Please, if you have questions and want to vet some of the details of the movement, we're going to be getting into the nitty gritty over uh, on Katie Halper's YouTube channel. Um, but thank you all for the time that you've shared with us today and for continuing to fight for this really important cause. Yeah, thank you. And again, that's um, youtube.com slash the Katie Halper show. We're about to get into it. And thank you so much to, for uh, to Jimmy and Nick um, and uh, Dr. West and uh, Justin Jackson and Joy and Scott for participating in this. And, and of course, Crystal and uh, Kyle and everyone for coming. Absolutely. Thanks everyone who's made this. Well, I would like to share a little bit about my personal medical history. Um, as to why I support hashtag force the vote. I have epilepsy and even though I do have insurance, I am thousands of dollars in debt because of it. So I got stabbed in the chest, spent three days in the ICU coma, $90,000 a day. I've witnessed people become sick, some of whom have even died from lack of access to treatment because of our country's tendency to rely on employer-based assistance. Got a rotten tooth, seven-year-old glasses. I've got three kids that need new glasses. We spent upwards of $2,500 a year on glasses. We were growing our family and our third child came along and he was diagnosed with autism. So we refinanced the house to pay for the treatment. In my life, I've experienced many friends that committed suicide or family members who have passed and died because they couldn't afford the procedure that they needed to live. Eastern Kentucky was really, had a real, still does have a bad drug epidemic. Uh, so everybody just thought you were looking for drugs. When I finally got an MRI, people finally believed me. For me, because I have epilepsy and I don't have no medical insurance. We need to pressure the progressive members of Congress to force the vote on Medicare for all. Uh, I have multiple sclerosis and I am a disability. I support hashtag force the vote and Medicare for all. 
Um, not just because I am currently without medical insurance, but also because even when I did have pretty good medical insurance, I experienced firsthand some of the shortcomings that exist in the current system. Now my friend Francisco died because of COVID. I wonder how long does it, is it going to take for Congress to realize that there are a lot of people suffering and struggling. So I have no choice but to work full time to avoid losing my health benefits. Medicare for all is an imperative because nobody should have to work themselves to the bone just to be able to see their doctor. Medicare for all for me means health care and prescription coverage for my sister. As a single father, my daughter has health insurance, but I don't help them. Um, the medical for all passes soon, like now. Thank you. In March, when I was laid off, I lost my employer-sponsored health insurance, and I have two pre-existing conditions. And since then, I haven't been able to fully afford all of the care that I need. My husband came home from the war broken, and that is how he qualified for medical care through the VA. It should never be that he should have to be battered, broken, and bruised and forever disabled in order to receive medical care for free. She's severely autistic, nonverbal. She wears diapers and needs everything done for her. I'm a retired combat vet, uh, retired from the Navy after 20 years. I have one of the best healthcare plans available in the country to uh, the military. And yet my daughter, who suffers from TMJ, uh, was getting bounced between dental and medical. Neither one wanted to take responsibility for fixing it. I uh, didn't go to the hospital. I was afraid to go to the hospital. Um, I didn't even know if I could go to the hospital because of COVID. And so I just uh, toughed it out. I was penalized multiple years for not having health care, And that is debt that I still owe to the IRS. The only uh, treatment for a Chiari 1 malformation is also a surgery I cannot afford. And the medications for her autism are more than $2,000 a month. The same medication in another country like India is $14. Here's insulin. You have to wonder, what's this worth? Well, it's worth your life, but it's worth a vial of it could be somewhere around $300. And I didn't have insurance, so I was, I was in bad shape. By the time I reached that diagnosis, and had some idea of what to do to treat my illness, I could no longer afford to treat my illness. Both of my grandparents are in their 70s and uh, are thousands of dollars in debt because they're, they both survived cancer. They're not able to live off of retirement. They have to work full-time at a Walmart in order to survive. That means that someone uh, decide uh, how to treat me based on what is profitable by insurance and not uh, based on the decision of my doctor. I ended up having to stay two nights in the hospital because I was misdiagnosed um, with uh, tuberculosis. The total bill was $20,000. The housing bubble burst and we filed bankruptcy to try to save the house, but of course, we were hit with a triple whammy. Everything we worked for and our family, our leaves blowing in the wind. 
These people should not be able to profit and kick us out of our home. It doesn't make one grateful to be alive when they have to look at that type of bill. This message is for the squad and for all the progressives that are in Congress and that can withhold the vote. I think that the progressive members that are in the House right now need to withhold their vote from Nancy Pelosi. I am asking AOC, Rokana, Rashida Tlaib, and anyone who considers themselves a champion of the people to force a vote and put Medicare for all up to a vote in the House. If you're not willing to put Pelosi's speakership at risk, then we don't need you. Giving people health care during a pandemic where there's a health care crisis is the right thing to do. If you actually care about defending the human rights of Americans, of patriots who love their country and they're suffering right now, you would force the vote. It's well past time that we hold our representatives accountable. The time is now. The time is now to fight for a just health care system. Medicare for All has the majority support in the country. Democrats, independents, Republicans, even 1993 Nancy Pelosi loves Medicare for All. It's high time that the people in Congress that purport to represent us start doing so. If the politicians we elect aren't willing to demand it, then they should get out of the way. Right now, at, there's a historic moment where progressives have some power leverage over Nancy Pelosi. This is a very special moment. Uh, we have a little bit of leverage on our sides and we should definitely use it. If I have to force it, I'll continue to force it because it's the best thing for people and it should be a no-brainer. And we need to act now because I don't know how much longer I have. So please, everyone come together and force the vote. Force the vote for Medicare for all. Force the vote now.